This morning, you're in your Bibles. Maybe you brought your phone. Maybe you brought an iPad. Maybe you just showed up. We're glad you're here. But if you do have one of those devices or the Scripture, open to Mark chapter 5. And we're doing a chapter a week, so, man, i got to put it in overdrive. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I tell you, sometimes I'm thinking, I could have preached this to, like, uh, December or next year. Somebody said, oh, thank you, Jesus, that he's not. But, uh, man, it's been great just walking through this book expositionally. So here it is. Last weekend, we saw where Jim, Jesus really demonstrated his power over the natural world when he was woken up from a nap, and he calmed the sea by the authority of his voice. Absolutely awesome. So... All around Jesus, you see the supernatural world that takes effect and his power over the world. But you also, when you get to the New Testament, there's this activity that amps up. It's called demonic. And it's all around Jesus because they cannot stand Jesus. They don't want Jesus. Satan does everything he can. And it hasn't changed in 2018. Do you know you're opposed as a child of God? How many of you know that? I mean, man, the enemy is not for you, but God is for you. And that's the great news. Even better news is, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What a Christ. What a God. And, and the Apostle Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places. And he just wanted us to know right off the bat that you have entered into a war when you are a follower of Jesus. But... Be of good cheer, because he has overcome the world. And you have the resident Holy Spirit. You have God himself living on the inside that enables you and empowers you to overcome the struggles and the temptations of this life. But what I do know of all the times I've preached against the devil, he has an ultimate desire for you and me. To destroy us, to silence us, that we might not sing and lift and speak the praises of God, because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He teaches the word. So uh, my daughter, a lot of times, you know, I have all this on my iPad, and I type on the notes, and then sometimes what I do is I, I run it off, and I just mark up through the weekend until I get into my final thing on Saturday nights. So I had it sitting there yesterday, and my daughter saw it, and she saw the first part, and she said, she saw demons. She goes, oh, Dad, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I said, well, just a little demonic power there, a little demonic conflict that Jesus had. But then we get to the power of his touch. How many of you get excited about the power of his touch? Yeah, some of these ladies right here that came, they wanted the power of the touch of Jesus. And we all want that for our lives. We want that for them. But what I know about demonic activity is that it attaches itself to entities that allow it to happen. And these uh, demonic things happen. There was uh, different teachings in, in, in that time. A lot of them would say, hey, there's a spirit of this and a spirit of that and a spirit of blindness and a spirit of deafness and a, a spirit of fever or whatever. Uh, and then you can get on some of these things that are so unbiblical, they just nauseate me, but I'll leave that for another day. And, uh, and, and one time somebody says, yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a spirit of uh, binge shopping. It needs to be cast out of you. And like, man, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not casting out, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if you, if you like to shop, you like to play golf, and you like to do this. I mean, you know, hey, I, I'll pray for you. Uh, it's always interesting when somebody comes to me and go, hey, would you pray for my husband? And he's standing right there. And they call him out. And, and what am I going to do with it? I'm a shepherd of God. You want to go, hey, I rebuke you, I bind you, man, go home, repent, you sinner. I mean, that's really going to build equity with me in relationships. And, and I want to go, woman, calm down. 
you know, he, he, you know, that's just what he does, you know, and let God work on him. Did y'all know that we have a Holy Spirit and it's not you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy, I just set myself up for an email there. I cannot believe I just said that. I was not talking about anybody in this room. I was just talking about maybe people on the outside of our church that maybe rode by this week, okay? Here, here's what I know. We look there in Mark 5, and immediately you see, there's that word immediately, 41 times in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus takes charge, and he, he overcomes. And he, uh, but, but see, the reason all this is so important is because Satan knows when he fell, he was an angel, a worshiper, and he gets cast out, Isaiah 14. And then in Revelation 20, which is so cool, he sees that his end is in sight, and he gets locked up, and he gets cast into the pit of darkness forever and ever. And I go, amen and amen. But yet here, in this very opening scripture, Jesus wants to restore somebody. So open, turn, listen. Chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes, and when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. Let's just stop there. That would scare the bajukas out of me. I mean, I, you know, man coming at me, demon, foaming at the mouth, I don't know. I think I've met a few of those people. Verse 3, this man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain whenever he was put into chains and shackles. As he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, man, guys, that right there is a scene, isn't it? I am glad I was not there to behold that. There's a lot of things that I want to behold in Scripture, although it would have been cool standing behind Jesus because he had such authority over this, but just to walk up on this would have been tough. Verse 6, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and he bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged them again and again not to send them to some distant place. At the very first, I did something I never do. I don't have any fill in the blanks today. And somebody said, hallelujah. And I'm so excited because I don't have to worry about if I miss one, I got to go back. I'm just going to preach. And I mean, I've been doing this for, for 36 years as a pastor, filling in blanks and all that, and I'll continue to do that, and that's kind of how I teach. But in this one, I mean, we're just in this uh, narrative of the gospel, and we're walking through it, and I'm like, man, you fill in your own blanks. You create your own blanks. And somebody said, well, good, I think I will. Okay. But Jesus restores a man's mind by casting out a demonic spirit, a spirit of insanity, if you will. Um, this man, this demon-possessed, he'd been demonized. He was in a, in a tough place. But it says immediately he met him there coming out of the tombs. And here's what I know about darkness. It hopes and tries to attach itself to us in different ways. And Satan is so good with his army to attach or to attack us emotionally. He comes after us spiritually, and he comes after us physically. So there's this warfare going on, but God has us, and God is above this. And yet, what I love about God is last week we saw a violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus calmed that 
physical storm. Do you not believe that that same Jesus can calm the storms on the inside of your soul? He can. Do you think he can calm the storm of the cancer or the thing that's working in your life? He can. Do you think he can calm the storm of your marriage or your relationship with your mom and dad? He can. It doesn't matter, man. Jesus is greater. Jesus is stronger than our sin. It's the, he comes to, if you will, to crush Satan's head. That's what the Scripture teaches. I, I love that. I, lo I love that image. And yet, Satan can do nothing without God allowing him. He is re literally rendered powerless unless God allows him to have some rule. But God is greater. Write down today, at least write that thought down. God is greater than all. He's greater than my disease. He's greater than my problem. He's greater than my challenges. He's a great God. I love that song that Tomlin came out with. We sang it Friday morning on the front line. How great is our... Man, I love that. I cannot sing that enough. It's the modern day of how great thou art. How great is our God. And we just sing it and we worship and we come against that. But here's the thing. I want you to know. Even Satan and his arsenal of demons, they believe in the existence of God. They're not atheists. They do believe in God. And they also believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. In this one, he goes, I know that you are the Son of the Most High God. And let me just say this, just to get on the cuff for a minute, and I'll come back. A lot of times people go, oh, oh, but pastor, you know they believe. I go, well, let me tell you something. That believe word is really deep. And just to say you believe, even the demons believe, but belief that transforms the heart is what Jesus is looking for. Amen? And he wants you to change you that you might follow him. At the end of your days, he might say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. So just to go, oh, I believe. Oh, man, <laughs> James and other passages says even the dark side believes. And right here, we see this. But yet, what I love is they only operate by permission that God even allows them to have. A Roman legion, I, I did some study on this and I thought it was fascinating. During Caesar Augustus, during his reign, it meant that it was 6,826 6, men made up a legion. And basically what they're saying here, it's a large number, it's 6,000 plus. So there was like 6,000 demons, I guess. This guy, Legion, there are many in us. I don't know about you, but that's the forces of hell. You know what I'm saying? And this is the greatest demoniac story in the scripture about the dark side and how powerful it is. But I don't want you to be fearful because God is greater than our fear. He's greater than the dark side. He comes for us. But yet the darkness does have great opportunity to intimidate, to scare, to silence if we'll let him. And yet God wants us to overcome. So these worlds meet in his life, okay? And yet I believe that this man never forgets that Jesus liberates him, that he liberates him from the powers of darkness. You know, when Jesus does something for you, you have to tell somebody, don't you? Wait a minute, hello. When Jesus does something for you, you have to tell somebody, do you not? You're saying, well, I should. Well, let's change that today. When Jesus, the great I am, does something for you, tell him. Tell others about the power of Christ. He's here in this region. It's called Ten Cities, and it's this metropolis, it's this area. And here we find ourselves in this great rebellion against God himself. And God comes out over this uh, 
naked, tormented, violent man. I mean, I cannot say enough to you. This is a tough situation that he finds himself in. But, I mean, death couldn't hold Jesus. Death couldn't conquer Jesus. A demoniac certainly can't overcome Jesus Christ. I'm grateful. How many of you are grateful for a God that can overcome every circumstance and situation you find yourself in this week? I mean, everyone. You name one. Jesus is bigger. You're saying, man, you're saying that every way you know how I am because I want us to know. And yet, the, these demons here, they do, they're, they're going to ask to be sent somewhere. And because they don't want to be uh, cast into the abyss or be... So Jesus does something for them, and that's what's interesting. You, you see that comment that I put in there? Circle it. When pigs fly. I think that's kind of funny. And Jesus basically casts these demons into swine, into pigs, and the Scripture says they flew, well, it says they went off the cliff. 2,000 pigs. Now, I wish I could have seen that. But I've often thought about that farmer. I just see me being with one of y'all saying, man, how's it going? Man, it's doing real good that Jesus came in. Last week I had 2,000, man, they're gone. There's dead pig carcasses floating down the river. Gone. Wiped out. A lot of times we just read that and we go, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old dark side. But it is perplexing to me. If a Jewish farmer owned the pigs, he was in direct violation of the law. Think about it. But I think he was a Gentile. And yet Jesus was greater and he cared about the man's soul more than he did the pigs. Now, we don't have all the things that Jesus did. And I don't know if, the, if Jesus ended up doing something great for the man because we don't have that in the gospel story. And I don't even want to have conjecture to make you think about in my sanctified imagination. You like the way I say that, don't you? But I do know this. The economics of this man was seriously messed up, okay? And uh, so these demons, they, they leave the man, and the man gains his sanity immediately. Man, that is a miracle of Jesus, isn't it? We'll see in this gospel narrative this summer some powerful works of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And I just like to kind of tell these stories and force to think about it, and yet they want to be sent off to the abyss, or they don't want to be sent, they want to be sent somewhere else, and because they are bent on destruction. That's their job, destruction, and they're good at it. So Jesus overcomes that and he does something mighty for this man and you just you, you read through this gospel and you see the beautiful of that and yet they ask jesus jesus leave us alone jesus is the master of the spirit world and he's overall and yet they want him to leave him alone like, leave us alone because they knew he was greater they knew something was going to happen when jesus shows up things don't stay as they always were do they not hey, here's a good thought i want you to think about it when jesus shows up the gentle shepherd, things change. And sometimes it's not so gentle. When Christ came and invaded your life, did things not change? Oh my goodness, for me, I won't share my testimony today, and many of you have heard it many times, but oh my goodness, there was a major cataclysmic transformation change in my life, and it led to the second greatest thing that happened besides Jesus. It led to Donna. She gave me the time of day after I got changed. I, I wouldn't have had nothing to do with me when I think about it. Before I thought, hey, I'm cool. I was in great shape. <laughs> and I had long curly hair. And I was on the other side. And then I joined the forces of righteousness. And then she said, hey, 
I want to hear more about your story. She said, call me. I've been calling that woman for 40 years. And I'm not going to ask her, do you wish she'd have said, hey, call me sometime. Why are y'all laughing? I don't think that's funny. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was divine intervention for me. I don't know about for her. Okay, here we go. So they, they plead with Jesus, leave the region, move out. But here, I want you to, here's another thought if you're just taking notes. Change bothers some people. It just does. It's one of our values in the first 18 years of our church. It's still a value. We just don't, we kind of changed our mission statement years ago about love God, love others. But change is a big part of knowing Christ. And Christ wants to bring change to you and to me and to our church and to our city and to our environment, to our culture. Do you not agree, church? But sometimes people get upset when change happens because relationships sometimes get different. You act different. Well, you should. I mean, if you're following Christ and you weren't following Christ, it, it should look different. So I, I just think about here, C.S. Lewis said this one time. He remarked that Jesus is not safe, but he is good. He does not always do what we expect, but he always does what is always for the best. Isn't that a great statement? So Jesus, we always picture him as the gentle shepherd boy. And he, 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 was, he was gentle. He was holy. He is holy. But sometimes he comes with a force and a passion to usher us and to lead us to his kingdom, to his father's kingdom, that we can be like him, that we one day might sit down at the Lamb's table and enjoy communion forever. So how good he is. Oh, God, you're, you're great. So he cast him out here. And let, let's move down to another story. I, I want you to see this. So he, 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 we talk about these pigs, and you're, you're basically going all the way through verse 20, okay? And basically... I cannot imagine. Can you imagine the talk on the hill that day when them pigs went flying off? I mean, I, I, I bet it was really fun. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but it was awesome. But the great thing was this man got delivered. This man got hope. This man got life. So maybe in your Bible, you just write life. There's life in Jesus' name. When Jesus shows up, there's got to be change. When Jesus shows up here, there's change. There's humility. There's brokenness. There's repentance when we get it right. When he doesn't show up here, there's arrogance and pride, flesh, and all kind of things. Where do you want to be? I want to be where Jesus is. Amen? So these economics, we talk about this. I, 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 I could belabor this point. I could talk about it. I, just, I get thrilled about the power of Christ and the testimony of what God's done. But look at verse 21. Move there. Jesus got to the boat again. He went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. And then the leader of the local synagogue, whose name is Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he prayed fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said, and please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding she had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them but she had gotten no better in fact she had gotten worse and she had heard about jesus so she came up behind him through the crowd and she touched his robe now let's stop there jesus is on the way jesus is making a house call you know what i'm saying at jarus house jarus was a guy that was over in the synagogue I think he was chief elder. He was in charge of worship services. He was in charge of communion. He was in charge of all kinds of things. He was also 
probably in charge with the responsibility to get the, rab the different rabbis to teach in the synagogue. He had a big job. So he had to humble himself to go in front of the religious people to talk to Jesus. But let me say this. Write it down. Jairus was desperate. When you get desperate, you're in a good place. You cry out to holy God. Amen? And that's where he found himself. He found himself broken, contrite, trembling at the power of God. Yet here he is, this lofty, robe-carrying, robe-wearing, uh, spiritual religious authority. But his daughter's dying. His daughter's in bad shape. And I just want to pause and get you to think. If your child is sick, what will you do? Everything. And I'll tell you what else happens. My phone rings off the hook when you get in trouble. Pastor, pastor, pray! Call fire down. Call heaven down. Uh -huh. I know, man, because, man, you're in a tough place. I understand. I love the healer, don't you? I love the healing, too. That song we listen to Caleb a lot. I mean, the healing's great, but I want to love the healer more. You know what I'm saying? But we cry out to him. We want God, we want you to come in this darkness of isolation. And, and God calls. So you, you have these two stories here that kind of wrap around each other because he's on the way to the house of Jairus. But this woman has, has an issue of blood for 12 years. He's got a 12-year-old daughter at home that's in trouble. And there's a woman with an issue of 12 years. And when you really do history and you do study on this, there was like a, a thing called the red tent. It could have been her menstrual cycle that never stopped. I don't know what the bleeding issue was, if you will, but it was tough, and she'd been isolated, and yet she knew. She'd been hearing about Jesus. She'd been hearing about the miracle worker, about God. So she had to go see Jesus for herself. And she said, if only I could touch the hem of his garment, if I could only touch the clothes of the master, I could be well. So look there in the scripture. It, it's awesome here. So she suffers. Look what it says in verse 27. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd. She touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And look at 29. There it is. There's that verse. That's that word. Circle it. What's the word? Verse 29. Right then. Boom. Immediately. The bleeding stopped. She could feel it in her body. She had been healed for her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that the power had gone out. The energy had left him. And man, I'm thinking, wow. And then he asked a question. I know Jesus did because it's in red, Eric. Okay, whatever. Red letters of Jesus. Who touched my robe? Who touched my gown? And the disciples said to him, look at the crowd pressing around me. How can you ask that? There's so many people here. I don't know who touched you. I mean, you go to a concert. Is everybody real polite and nobody cut, touches you and everybody's just real? They just run over you, aren't you? Well, here it is. But verse 32. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, she came and she fell to her knees in front of him and she told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. Wow. That's miraculous. That's supernatural. That, that's powerful. Desperate people get desperate things. And this woman, she lays aside things. A Chinese proverb says a day of sorrow is longer than a month of joy. 
Oh, no, it's 12 years of agony, 12 years of bleeding, 12 years of isolation or whatever she had to deal with. And yet now she finds herself with a healing touch of Jesus. Wow. An interruption. I got a question for you. Do you ever see interruption as a waste of time? Jesus didn't. And Jesus doesn't. Sometimes when you're really busy, somebody interrupts you, how many of you celebrate? Don't raise your hand. You're like, man, I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't have time for that right now. Do interruptions ever call y'all ahead of time and say, I would like to schedule an interruption for you, and it'll be on Tuesday at 3.30 in the afternoon. Would that be okay? Do interruptions not come at the most inopportune times of life? Yes. And here's Jesus, man, the miracle worker. He's, he's on mission. He's got something to do. And the woman interrupts him, but man, Jesus, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's caring, and he loves her. And he touches her, and I, I get, so here, here's what Jesus would say. Hey, stop being afraid. Believe. Don't let your fear control you anymore. Believe in me. So this flow of blood stops, and man, I just, I get thrilled about the master and the love of Jesus Christ that she touches these tassels because there were tassels that hang off the robe. So maybe they're, maybe they're tassels on the garment. I don't know. But I, all, all I know is she had to make contact. That's a great principle. You and I always need to make spiritual contact. When we make contact with Jesus, things happen. Maybe we get our healing. He's certainly capable and able. Maybe we just get a flood of peace. Maybe we get just a sense of his presence like we've never known we get hope there's so many things that jesus gives us and we just need to thank him for what he gives i wish he just healed everybody every single time that i cried his name and he could and sometimes he does for the glory of his father and sometimes it's not for that but we might die that we might glorify him forever and even in death the lord jesus christ is glorified amen so many friends around here have died over the years I certainly prayed for their healing and some got better and some died but jesus christ is to be praised in all the storms of life amen because he's bigger than the storm let's move on so the lady releases her faith how powerful it is now i want you to look right there on the middle of your thing i want you to see this about the message questions how do you need to be touched by god today that's a real practical question that only you can answer I can't answer it for you. Your spouse can't answer it, your kids, your friends. But how do you need to be touched by God? I can look at this section. I know how they need to be touched. <laughs> I already know how they want to be touched. I can look over here and I can go, I don't know how they want to be touched. And some I do, some I don't. But ask God. And then the other one is, now listen to this. This is where it gets real horizontal. The body of Christ, love God and love God. Oh, that's pitiful. Love God, love. I just want to make sure y'all are listening, okay? That's our mission statement. How, how many people need your touch? The touch of grace through your life. The touch of God through your expression. Lots of people. I don't know, this week, man, I, I had an opportunity to touch some people with the grace of Jesus Christ. Some of them were very, very difficult and hard some were easy but I, as i was thinking about this question i thought man that's a great question for all of us we just need the touch of god on our lives 
And we need to touch others with the love of Christ. And God will show you. Just ask him, Christ, show me, Jesus, how you'd have me touch your world. This world's pretty tainted. How many would think the world's tainted and messed up? Oh, man, is it? And it needs us as agents, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ to go and make our mark. So there's hope here. But let's, let's keep moving. I want you to get on down here. So in verse 36, But Jesus overheard them, and he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. And Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him into the room. But Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child's not dead. She's only asleep. Now let me tell you something that you might not know. Middle Eastern funerals are different than funerals that you and I attend or that we do here. <laughs> They're just very different. In those days and in the Middle East, there's lots of wailing and lots of screaming. And somebody went, oh, Jesus, thank you that I do not live there. And they have lots of commotion and lots of activity. It's just unbelievable, and it's very vocal. And, when, and, and they, what we do is, when we get ready for a funeral, we put on our very best attire, our suit, our dress, I don't put on a dress. You put on your dress. We, we put on our best attire. In those days, they didn't. They would put on something that was being ready to be ripped up because they would rip their clothes in agony. And as I studied this, it was amazing. Some, they would rip, and for the man, it wasn't any big deal. But for women, I mean, they would just rip, and sometimes then they would have to, like, turn their shirt around because it was inappropriate to wear it in front of a man what they had done. But there was this gnashing and, and wailing and commotion. And then they had flute players. That is professional mourners. Professional. Can you imagine hiring professional mourners to come in here and scream and wail and yell? <laughs> How many are grateful we don't do that? We have very quiet affairs for the most part. I pray they're very testimonial in nature. But here it is. So there's this home here, and I'm, I'm just letting you know that it, it, it's real different. And, and, and so Jesus shows up, and, and they're going, but Jesus, you didn't get here in time? She didn't make it. She's dead. She's not. She's asleep. Like, man, Jesus, that, that kind of sounds ridiculous. Look at verse 40. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Uh, I love that. Jesus basically said, rest of you, out of here. We going in. And can you, can you imagine the disciples going in with Jesus into that room? I know they're thinking, wow, he does miracles all the time. He is fixing to blow this place away. Or maybe they were just skeptical going, I don't know, we're on the inside, he loves us. Uh, man, I wonder what Jesus is going to do. There's a dead girl in there. Jesus says she's asleep. Let's see. Let's, let's keep going here. So they took the girl's father, and the girl was lying there, 41. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talithia kun, which means little girl, get up. Now, let's stop right there. Little girl, get up. Do you not have sweet little names for your little princesses and for your little prince at your house? Do you not have little sweet names for your kids and grandkids? Hello, it's not rhetorical. Yeah, man, I have names. Man, I love those names. And Jesus basically, because there's all these different languages in there, it's Aramaic. That's what that language was. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, Greek. It wasn't Hebrew. And, and so he tells her, little girl. <laughs> I love that. Little girl, get up. And look at verse 42. Come on, you, you can't miss the miracle. This is awesome. 
And the girl who was 12 years old, immediately, there it is, circle it again, she stood up, she walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. I bet they were. And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Now, we see other passages where Jesus says, now don't go tell anybody, and what's the first thing they did? You know why Jesus did that? It wasn't because he was ashamed. It wasn't because he didn't want people to be, uh, God to be honored. I think he wanted some peace. I think he wanted some rest. Every time the word got out that miracle worker was in the house, crowds came. That's why he had to withdraw to the mountains. He had to withdraw to the Sea of Galilee into different regions. And yet, there's a time that we go and we tell what the Lord has done for us, that she's only sleeping. And, and there's a term, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's called soul sleep. I don't believe in it, that somehow we get disconnected when we die, that we go unconscious and there's no connecting to consciousness, and that we somehow sleep for thousands of years until Jesus comes again and then he wakes us. See, the Apostle Paul says, to be absent in the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Our spirit, man, goes to be with Jesus at death. Is that good news, church? That's awesome news. We're not alone. We're with Jesus. Then he resurrects the body and does all that later, and it's all awesome. We can talk about that for another day. But Jesus is, hey, I'm about to wake this little girl up. I'm about resurrections. And the girl gets up, and it's beautiful. And, and you know, I, I wish there was more in the narrative that told us. It's almost like Jesus is saying, she took a nap, and I'm waking her up. When you take a nap, what happens? Somebody will say, well, they snore. Well, that's not what I want to know. When you take a nap, and what happens on the other side? You wake up, and you're refreshed. You're better. You're ready to go. This little girl, little lamb, she, she wakes up, and he takes her, and he heals her. And I can't imagine the, the conversation that they had there, and it said that she arose, and she walked, and they gave her something to eat. I guess that was proving to some of the skeptics, hey, man, this girl really is alive, man. She's fully has come alive in him. He's the resurrection. So later when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, you're like, me, you better believe it, Jesus. You are resurrection. Oh, I love you, King Jesus. So he shows his power. He, he blesses Jairus and his wife. The thing I didn't tell you earlier was Jairus, he came to Jesus. He didn't bring his wife. What do you think his wife was? She was home by the bedside of the little girl. You moms know, don't you? Your baby's sick. Where are you going? Nowhere but right here. You're married. You send a man. Go get some help quick. Go get something done. I'm not leaving her. She needs me. You ever notice that? We always cry out for mama. We don't usually cry out for daddy. You ever notice that? Sometimes we do. Every once in a while I get to five. Most part, hey, I want my mama. But here, when Jesus knocks on the door of your heart, Caitlin, come on this. When Jesus knocks on the door of your heart, run quickly to him. Run to him. Because you see, Jesus is not obliged to come back over and over and over if you reject him and push him away. And oh, how I pray this morning for you and me that we invite Jesus to come near often. Jesus, come. Come and dwell in this place. Come and dwell in my midst. Come and dwell in my home, King Jesus. Jesus, be in my office. Be in my cockpit of my plane. Jesus, whatever I find myself, Jesus, come. I want you, oh, please, mighty Savior, come. And so much, yeah, much of the time he does. And Jesus touches these people. I, I just love it with his presence and with his power. So we look at this gospel narrative this morning, 
And I, I think about what St. Augustine said. He said, sometimes I pray, save me, O Lord, save me, but not now. I want to stay like I am a little while longer. But I would ask you today, maybe you're all believers. Man, that's awesome. Maybe you're not a Christian today or you've walked away from the Lord. And I would ask you, in simple, humble, dependent faith, you would just cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I need a Savior. I need a Master. I need a Lord. I need a friend. Come and invade my life. Make me new. Oh, Jesus, you are life. You are powerful. God, you are able. And he'll come. And then when Jesus comes, I encourage you to go and to tell somebody, Jesus changed me. Jesus saved me. I'll tell you this. I remember it like yesterday. I remember when Jesus Christ invaded my dorm room as a 19-year-old freshman. And I got up off my knees, and I knew that the guilt was gone. I'd been redeemed. I didn't even understand all these theological words. I just knew I was changed. And I immediately didn't even know that was in the Scriptures. I went and started calling my friends. And some of them hung up. Said, what you drinking? And some of them said, oh no, he's a Jesus freak. And others go, we've been praying for you. Well, that's good. I'm his. And that's the word today when you walk out of here. Go and tell somebody about the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Everybody says, man, it's your job. It's the job of the church, of the living Christ. You are his witnesses. Okay. Well, I'll just bring them, let you talk to them. Maybe you can hit them. Man, your witness, your witness matters. Let's pray. God, it is awesome today to be in your house with your kids and with people of faith and people that are maybe seeking you. God, I pray that we would find you. And Lord, we need you today. We thank you for the power of the gospel and for the power of miracles and ultimately for the power of the resurrection. Jesus, you are life. You are bigger than the demons. You are bigger than the circumstances. You are bigger than disease. You are abundant. We need you, Christ. Come, have your way in our hearts today, God. Our permission, not that you need it. We want you to take over. We surrender. We'll follow you. In the name of Jesus Christ, God's people got up and said, you didn't catch that. God's people got up and said, bye.